I'm not sure if you picked up on the theme of the two opening hymns, uh, but hopefully you gather that both of them uh, were on the theme of God's word. Uh, there aren't many hymns, funny enough, on the subject of God's word specifically. They obviously all speak of it uh, indirectly, um, but there aren't that many uh, speaking about um, God's word directly. Um, but the what, two of the ones we've sung today are two of them. And the reason I've chosen them is because uh, that really is the theme of the last few verses of the book of Revelation. Now, you might remember that at the beginning of the book, when John first started writing, that he told us that there is a blessing for those who understand and read the words of this book. Now, right at the start, before we've read any of it, John says that there is a blessing attached to reading the words of this book. But now, in the final verses of this book of Revelation, uh, we see more about what that blessing is. Because by this point, we've read the whole of the book, and we understand better what the blessing is. And the blessing isn't just attached to reading the words. Many people across history have read the words and have gained no benefit from it. The blessing, the benefit of this book, and in fact of the whole Bible, because the the book of Revelation, you could say, is the capstone on top of the whole rest of the Bible. It uses so much of the rest of the Bible within it. The blessing comes to those who Heed the words, not just hear them. You can see that in verses 6 and 7. Christ himself, um, well, I'll read from verse 6, and then Christ speaks in verse 7. But John writes, he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. The book of Revelation, as we said right at the beginning of this series, does not exist chiefly to satisfy our curiosity about the future. Everyone's interested in the future. It doesn't matter who you are, everyone has an interest in learning what's to happen in the future. Um, You can see that from the way people devour horoscopes and uh, enjoy going to fortune tellers. And the the whole concept is of fascination to human beings. What is going to happen in the mysterious future? But the book of Revelation doesn't exist merely to scratch that itch. That's not why the book of Revelation was given. It's given to us more to encourage believers as they face the future, more than to satisfy our curiosity about it. So if after uh, this series of sermons, uh, all you come away with and all I come away with are lots and lots of questions about what's going to happen when, then I failed. I failed in my task of trying to explain this book. More importantly, we will have missed the whole point of this book. 
The whole point is to encourage us as we face the future. It's full of exhortations and commands and encouragements and reasons to endure, to not give up the faith, to continue trusting in Christ no matter how dark the path might get. That's the purpose of the book of Revelation. And he says, blessed. Uh, There is great benefit for the one who listens and heeds the words of this book. And in these last few verses, um, really that theme is uh, brought to conclusion. And in many different ways, um, John records for us uh, why it's so important that we listen to the words of this book. And Christ commands us, in fact, in these verses to heed what he has said and not to let these things slip. And this evening I've got four reasons or four, um, four realities about these words which make them so important or why we cannot neglect them. And you can see them written in your service sheet. Just four um, aspects of these words which make them so crucial. The first one is that these words are certain. The second is these words are complete. Thirdly, these words will be fulfilled soon. And lastly, these words are for everyone. So that's where we're going this evening. We're just going to look at each of those in turn uh, to see why this book of Revelation and why, in fact, the whole Bible is so crucial to listen to, but more than just listen to, but to heed and to act upon. So let's start with that first one. Uh, These words are certain. You can see that in verse 6, the very first verse we read. John writes, And he said unto me, These sayings are faithful and true. These sayings are faithful and true. Uh, the angel which Christ sends to John says these words are faithful and true. John himself testifies that these things are true. And even mo- and most importantly of all, Christ, Christ himself says that these words are true. Now, elsewhere in the Bible it says, by two or three witnesses a thing is established. And so we have Christ, Christ's angel, and John himself testifying that the words of this book And by extension, the words of the whole Bible are certain and true. What that means is, if we take those words to heart, it means that Christ is worthy to open the scroll of history, as we learn in Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5 as well. It means that Christ has already won the victory over death and over Satan, as we learn in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, We learn that we have been sealed. If we are a believer, we are protected. Our soul is protected from danger. Our body may suffer, but we are secure ourselves. We learn that in Revelation chapter 7. We learn all these things and many more besides from this book of Revelation. All these things designed to give us ballast in our life, to give us a foundation, something which we can stand on so that no matter what we face in life, we can rest assured that it is not forever, 
that we have a hope to look forward to. That's what the angel is saying when he says these sayings are faithful and true. These are words we can rely on. They are enough to get us safely through life. And that's why Christ himself said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If you neglect God's words, you will not have the motivation to endure. You just won't. Uh, You'll look at this world and you'll despair. You'll look at the politicians. Uh, You'll look at the policies. Uh, You'll look at your suffering in your life and you'll say, I can't continue. I, I can't hold on because you're looking merely at this world. But God's word gives us a deeper sight, a further sight. Uh, As we've said many times over this series, it's like when Elisha's servant was given those eyes to see not just the army of Syria surrounding the city, but the armies of God surrounding the armies of Syria. That's why we need to cling to God's word, because it shows us the reality above the apparent realities that we see around us. We need this sure foundation to get us through life. Uh, It's been said that a man with one watch knows what time it is, uh, but a man with two watches is never sure. And that's the problem if you don't have one foundation to build your life upon. If you have many foundations, differing foundations, you're never going to be secure. Uh, You could be like someone trying to sit on two stools and probably fall in between both. You need a sure and stable foundation to rest your life upon. And that is God's word. And obviously, ultimately, it is Christ himself who God's word tells us about. Now, that doesn't mean that the Bible tells us everything. It doesn't. Uh, It doesn't tell you how to bake a cake. Uh, If you want that, you need to look at a cookery book. Uh, It doesn't tell you how to fix a car engine. For that, you need to go to a mechanic or a Haynes manual. Um, The Bible doesn't tell us many things which are helpful for getting through life. But as Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible gives us everything we need to know how to behave in this world. Uh, It teaches us how and who, perhaps, what sort of person we should approach to help us with our car, to help us with our cooking. It might teach us that. It teaches our behavior, not the details of life. That's what this book, um, book exists for, to teach us how to live in this world, how to behave before God. If you don't rely on this word, we'll be like the people in the time of the judges, where every man and woman did what was right in their own eyes. If you want to know what happens in a society like that, just look outside. Just look outside and you'll see what happens in a world where people do not have a foundation to stand upon. But there is a danger. Uh, There is a danger with this. Uh, It is possible to think that we are listening to God's words when actually we're listening to something else. 
Uh, heard the story in about 512 BC. Uh, Darius I of Persia uh, led his armies north of the Black Sea. And the Scythians uh, sent him a message uh, comprised of a mouse, a frog, a bird, and five arrows. And Darius summoned his captains, and he said, Our victory is, uh, is assured, he announced. Uh, these arrows signify that the Scythians will lay down their arms. The mouse means the land of the Scythians will be surrendered to us. The frog means that their rivers and lakes will also be ours, and the Scythian army will fly like a bird from our forces. But an advisor to Darius said, The Scythians mean by these things that unless you turn into birds and fly away, or into frogs and hide in the waters, or into mice and burrow for safety in the ground, you will all be slain by the Scythian archers. Darius took counsel and decided that the second was the right interpretation, and he beat a retreat. But you see, there was an ambiguous message there. There was a message which wasn't clear. And your interpretation of it really depended on what you wanted to do most. And history is full of examples of people who have interpreted message the way they wanted to. That's a danger with God's word. Uh, danger with God's word is that we can twist it to the way we want to read it. Uh, we start to ignore what Paul actually meant or what John actually meant or what Christ himself actually meant and we start to turn into something we want it to say. So it's not enough to simply say the Bible says it. The question is, does the Bible mean it? So that's a warning about uh, building your life on this foundation. Make sure that you are actually listening to what the Bible says and not merely your own interpretation of what you want to hear. But that's the first exhortation we're given in these final verses. We should listen to these words because they are sure. They are certain. They are trustworthy. But what we've just said leads very smoothly onto the second uh, reality we learn about these words. We learn that these words are complete. These words are complete. Uh, look at verses 18 and 19. Um, uh, the angel speaks to John and he says, uh, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. This is a warning about the dangers of false teaching. This is a warning about the dangers of false teaching. And you can see this again in verses 14 and 15. Uh, Christ says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whoever loveth and maketh a lie. Uh, I don't know if you remember a few weeks back when we looked at Christ's words about do not cast pearls before swine, and we learned who dogs are, uh, who Christ meant by dogs. And dogs are those who treat the truth in an uh, untruthful way. Uh, they treat the truth in a way like dogs. They have no respect for the truth, but they are conniving with it. They're not honest with it. And that is what Christ is warning against here. 
he is warning about those who shut their eyes to any part of God's word or add to it. And when you look at any uh, cult or um, uh, offshoot from Christianity throughout history, you can always see those two features, one or other of them. They've either taken away some of God's word or they've added out something else to it, one or the other. And Christ himself warned about both types of people. Uh, We need to beware both. Christ, for example, said, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Christ warns warns against taking away from his words, teaching people to do things which Christ said and which God said are wrong. But he also warned against adding to his words. Uh, This as well in Mark's Gospel. Uh, Christ says, This people honours me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. This is what the Pharisees did. They were very vigorous and rigorous with God's word, but they actually added to what God's word said. Uh, They added commands to what God said. Uh, They added to God's word. And that's just as dangerous as taking away from it. Uh, We can take away from God's word and twist it. We can add to God's word and twist it also. Um, I heard a story, again, of a Russian czar in 1903, and he noticed a sentry Uh, posted for no apparent reason on Kremlin grounds. And upon inquiry, uh, he discovered that in 1776, Catherine the Great found there the first flower of spring. Post a sentry here, she commanded, so that no one tramples that flower underfoot. Two centuries later, there was still a sentry guarding the flower which had long since died. But that's how traditions and church traditions can happen. That's what happened with the Pharisees. What started with um, a perhaps a fair interpretation of God's word eventually became a new law. Uh, a new law added on to what God had already said. The reason behind why it had been made originally had been completely lost. Reminds me of another account of a, a very poor but holy man who lived in a remote part of China. And every day before his time of um, prayer and meditation in the morning, uh, he would, uh, to show his devotion, and because food was so scarce, he would offer a dish of butter on the windowsill as an offering to God. Uh, But one day his cat came, and the cat ate the butter. And to remedy this, he began tying the cat to the bedpost uh, before he had his quiet time each day so the cat wouldn't get the butter. But this man became so revered for his piety that others joined him, and he soon gained many disciples who worshipped as he did. And generations later, long after the holy man was dead, his followers would faithfully place a a plate of butter on the windowsill, and each one would buy a cat and tie it to their bedpost. You see how they had missed the point why it had been done in the first place, and it had become a law, it had become a tradition. And it lost its meaning. And that can happen with religions so quickly. They can lose their grounding. They can lose the reason why. 
And we can very quickly add to what God has said in his word and add all these things which never had any basis in God's word in the first place. So that's the second warning. God's word is complete. We mustn't add to it and we mustn't take away from it. It is complete as it is. So we've had that uh, God's word is certain. We've had that God's word is complete. But we learn next that the words of this book have their fulfillment soon. This is the third reason why we must listen to them. Their fulfillment is soon. You can see this again in verses 6 and 7. Again, John writes, These sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. And again in verse 12, uh, Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. These verses make very clear that the time is soon when Christ comes. You might say that's a bit strange. (laughs) This was written 2,000 years ago. Uh, That doesn't seem particularly soon. Um, But there are two things to note here. Uh, First of all, Peter himself tells us that what is soon with God may not be soon with us. Um, With God, a thousand years is one day, and one day is as a thousand years. So we are not very good judges of what is soon. Uh, But secondly, uh, this could also mean that this, the, the words, the things which are spoken of in this book of Revelation... They are the next thing, if I could put this reverently, on God's calendar. There's nothing left to happen before the final tribulation and Christ comes again. Uh, Everything else has been accomplished. Everything else is done. Christ has come. He's died. He's risen again. He's now seated at the right hand of God. There's nothing left to happen before Christ finally comes back again. And in that sense, he's coming soon. We should be on the lookout for the next event on God's calendar. But thirdly, notice that Christ says he comes quickly. He comes quickly, and very likely that has the sense of coming suddenly. Christ is going to come quickly and without, for many, warning. Uh, He'll come quickly. It reminds me of a story, again, I've heard of um, Robert Murray McShane, who wrote our one of the hymns we sang this morning. And uh, he was at a Bible study with a group of ministers, I think. And uh, he asked them at this Bible study, uh, do you think uh, that Christ will come back tonight? And the men discussed amongst themselves and each of them shook their head and says, no, we we think not. We think not. Then Mike McShane turned his Bible and he turned to Christ's words where Christ said, in an hour that you think not the Son of Man will return. That's a good warning for us. We need to be ready because we could have got it all wrong. Christ will come quickly. He'll come at an hour we think not. We must always be ready. We must heed these words. Many years ago, there was a father uh, who had to leave his home 
to go on a long journey. And just before he left, his little three-year-old son asked him, Daddy, when will you be coming back again? Now, the father knew that he would not be back till the end of September. However, he realised that it was no use talking to his son in terms of dates and times and seasons. That wouldn't mean anything to his young child. Uh, So sitting down beside him, the father said to the boy, Now listen, when you see the leaves on the trees turning red and brown and beginning to fall to the ground, then you can be sure that daddy is coming back very soon. The next day, the father left home. And during the months of July and August, the little boy would go for walks with his nurse. On this work, he used to talk about his absent father. Uh, Slowly, the weeks went by until it came early September and then mid-September. Although the boy did not notice it, the leaves on the trees were changing colour. Then one night, there was a big windstorm and millions of leaves came down, filling the sidewalks and gutters. The next morning, when the young child went out, he immediately saw them. Letting go his nurse's hands, he went amongst the leaves and began to kick them sky high. Then he began to shout, hooray, hooray, daddy's coming soon. He heard his father's words and he trusted them. And when he saw those leaves, he knew his father was coming soon. And that's what our attitude should be. When, when we look out into the world and we see the things which Christ said would happen, when there'll be wars and rumours of wars and pestilences in diverse places and false Christ and all these things which Christ spoke about and which the book of Revelation speaks about, we should be like that, that little boy and say, Christ is coming soon. This is why I get a little frustrated when people um, find the Antichrist under every rock or they look at their newspaper and they see Armageddon on every page. Because we should always be ready. And when we do see such signs, and they, for all I know, could well be real signs of Christ's coming, it shouldn't cause us to get scared. It shouldn't cause us to be fearful. It should cause us to rejoice. We should be happy. We, like that little boy, should say, hooray, Christ is coming soon. And that's not the attitude I see from most Christians. Most Christians, it seems to be a kind of doom and gloom uh, atmosphere when they look in despair at the world and how it's falling to pieces. But our hope's not in this world. We don't trust in politicians. We don't trust in governments. We don't trust in their policies in COVID or whenever. We trust in the fact that this world is one day going to be wrapped up like a scroll. That Christ is going to come back again and he's coming back soon. That's when our hope is. We don't know what day it will be. Don't trust any Christian who says they do, because Christ said we do not know. There won't be at the end of time an end times test. You won't be tested on whether you got the Antichrist right. You won't be tested on whether you understood every single last thing of the book of Revelation. What you'll be tested on is were you ready? Were you found doing what you were supposed to be doing When Christ comes, that's what we should be focusing on. We'll be judged on our faithfulness, not on our ability to read the signs. So that's the third lesson from these last few verses. The words will be fulfilled soon, so we must be ready. But lastly, the last reason we should heed these words of the book of Revelation 
is that we're told these words are for everyone. These words are for everyone without exception. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, John writes, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let, that he- let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst, Come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. You couldn't be more clear than that, could you? Um, there's no one excluded in that invitation. Christ says, come to him. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. We don't need any more invitation. Christ says, whoever will, whoever wants to, take of the water of life freely. I have to say this, so much harm has been done by people who think they understand election but don't. Or they overthink election to the point that they can't do anything. The Bible says that God does have his elect people. God has chosen his people. Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. But that is God's business, not ours. If you are a believer, if you are trusting in Christ this morning, that is a wonderful assurance for you. Uh, If you are a believer, if you have come to Christ, you will never be plucked out of his hand. You are assured of heaven. Uh, Once Christ has saved someone, he never lets them go. But if you're a believer, it doesn't need to concern you about who God has or has not chosen. All you need to hear is this invitation, this welcome where Christ himself says, whosoever will, let him that is a thirst come. If you want to come, you can. If you want to come to Christ, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to know the joy of having your future secure, you can. All that's needed is that you want to. That is all the condition that you need to fulfill. Whosoever will may come. So if you have any sort of desire to come to Christ, don't ask yourself, am I chosen or am I not? Ask yourself, do I want to? And if you want to, you can. And Christ says, those who come to him, he will in no wise cast out. All who come to him, he will accept. Because he is the only way to be saved. And this is the final invitation of this book. Inviting everyone to come to him. God commands all people everywhere to repent without any exceptions. And it applies to believers too. If you're a believer but you've been perhaps drifting away from Christ, uh, perhaps you're like the church of Laodicea, which we learn about in Revelation chapter 3, and you've grown cold, you've grown lukewarm, then Christ says, come. He says he stands at the door and knocks And he's willing to enter to any who open to him. And as I say, that's the last reason why we should heed the words of this book. Because they are an open invitation to everyone. To everyone to come. And as I was reading through it, it reminded me of William Tyndale. You remember William Tyndale, the famous translator of the Bible in the 16th century? Um, And he is having a conversation before the Bible had been translated into English, and those who had to read it had to read it in Latin. And a Catholic priest uh, was speaking with him, 
and he said uh, it would be better to do without uh, the God's law than the Pope's law. That's what this priest said to Tyndale. And Tyndale's response was, if God spare my life, in many years I will cause a boy who drives a plough to know more of the scriptures than you do. Tyndale wanted God's word to go out. Tyndale wanted God's word to be shared to everyone because of this open invitation. Tyndale had Christ's own heart, his own heart to invite all who were willing to come to him. Whoever is thirsty may come. And if you don't want to come, then you have no one to blame but yourself. If you refuse the invitation that Christ gives, then how can you blame Christ? That's on you. It's not Christ's fault if you reject his invitation. Let me close with one final story. Uh, It was about um, a man called John who was a chauffeur. And he was a chauffeur to a wealthy Christian man. He had to be wealthy to have a chauffeur. Um, But this Christian man was faithful and often shared Christ with his chauffeur, John, who was not a believer. And often he would talk with John about his soul and uh, how necessary it was for him to accept Christ and his forgiveness and to be ready for what lay beyond. Uh, And one day he was telling his chauffeur of the hope that he had of Christ's return. And he said to John, John, when the Lord comes, you can have my cars. And this evoked from John a polite but very joyous expression of gratitude. He thought, it's amazing, I'll have my master's cars. And John, his master added, "Uh, your wife can come and live in our lovely large house. Again, John responded with fervent joy. Uh, His master had told him that he could have all the money and property that his master possessed when the Lord Jesus came back. Overjoyed, John returned to his cottage and told his wife what his master had said. Both were elated at the prospect, but they had not considered the implications. John went to bed, but he could not sleep. In the middle of the night, he made his way to his master's house and knocked loudly till his master came and asked who was there. It's me, John, your chauffeur, was the reply from the other side of the locked door. What's the matter, John? Why have you come in the middle of the night? Oh, sir, said the chauffeur, I don't want your car. Don't want my car, John. Why not? Nor your house, nor your money, nor your property, added John. Well, John, said his master, what is it that you do want? And John replied, I want to be saved. I want to be ready like you for the coming of the Lord. John had learned what was most important. Initially, it seemed like the car. It seemed like the property. It seemed like the wealth of his master was all that mattered. Then he realized what mattered most was being ready. Ready for the day that Christ returns. Ready for the day when the king of the whole universe comes to reclaim the world that is rightly his. That is what matters most to all of us. To be ready for that day. And that's why I've chosen as our final hymn, a hymn which echoes the last few words of this book, this book of Revelation. It's number 400.
and 71. Come to the Saviour now, he gently calleth thee. In true repentance bow, before him bend the knee. He waiteth to bestow salvation, peace and love. True joy on earth below and home in heaven above. Come, come, come. So we'll stand to sing 471.